This morning's text is Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of scripture. Thank you that you use it to teach us and rebuke us, correct us and train us in righteousness. I do pray that you would search our hearts this morning and use your word to draw us closer to yourself. Thank you for Pastor Greg and his love for your word. He is a blessing and a gift to our church. Please use him this morning to teach us and mold us so that we may live and love as Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Well, uh, here's, here's a question for you. You've heard this. You may have even asked this question, but many ask the question, can I lose my salvation? That's the voice of the Lord there, right? <laughs> can, can I lose my salvation? Uh, and here's my response to that. Uh, if it's yours, then yes. If it's your salvation, you better believe you can lose it. Can you lose your car keys? Yes. Can you lose your wallet? Yes. I lose everything that's mine. I just, it, it, so if it's ours, yes. But it's not ours. This is the key that helps us answer that question. It's not ours. It's God's. And that's, that's very important to grab hold of that. And that, that helps us with this whole question. I want to go to David very quickly as an example because we all know David the great king of Israel, David, the man after God's own heart, the Bible says. David, the man that God used to bring himself much glory as he destroyed and defeated that giant. Uh, this, is, this is the David we're talking about. And yet David fell into sin. David committed adultery. David had that woman's husband murdered. This is the David that we're, we're talking about. So as he was plunged into the despair of sin and the guilt that, that he experienced from that and the depression that he entered into, he prays and he repents. He comes to the Lord. And, and in, in Psalm chapter 51, this glorious chapter, I encourage you to read as David is crying out for the grace and mercy of, of God. Notice what he says in verse 12. He prays, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And there's two things to note in David's prayer there. One, David did not ask God to restore salvation. He said, restore the joy of salvation. Restore the joy. But he also recognized, number two, that that salvation was the Lord's. He said, restore the joy of your salvation. So, so it's so important that we grab hold of, of what salvation is. Salvation is a gift from God. It's his belongs to him. He gives it to us. It's his. And so when we ask this question, can I lose my salvation? I think we're asking the wrong question. I think we need to ask this question. Can God ever stop loving me? That's the question. 
I'm only a child of God. Paul has shown us this over and over, but we're only children of God because of his love for us. Not because of our great love for him. It's his love for us. And as we're going to see today, folks, he can't stop loving us. <laughs> it's glorious. Uh, Romans 8, 35. What does Paul begin here? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Does this not take us back full circle? It, it, it takes us right back to the, to the first link of the golden chain of salvation that we've looked at over the past few weeks. What is that first link in this golden chain of God's salvation for his people? The first link was foreknowledge. Those whom he foreknew, and we said the, that the Bible is plain about this all throughout the Bible, that language of foreknowledge is not just knowing something in advance, it's relational. It's having a relationship before. Before we were in this world, God knew us and loved us, and he placed his love on us. He set his affection on us. That's what it means. God foreloved us. It's glorious. That's the reason, folks. That's the re it's because of God's love for us. Because of that, we have confidence that our salvation is eternally secure. This, this is what we've got to understand again about the salvation God has given us. The reason we can have confidence that our salvation is eternally secure is not because of our great love for God, but it's because of His great love for us. And, and he goes to great length in his word, the whole Bible, to tell us that his love endures forever. It's steadfast. It's not fickle like our love. It's steadfast, unchangeable. It endures forever. First Chronicles 16, 34, we see it. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever forever we see it again in second chronicles chapter 20 21 you write these down I, I didn't put these on the screen but if you want to have proof that god loves you and, and some encouragement and, and, and something to give you assurance here it is second chronicles 20 21 says the very same thing again psalm 100 verse 5 says the very same thing the same verse psalm 118 five times five different verses says give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever and then psalm 136 26 verses are in that psalm and 26 times it says he is good give thanks to the lord for he is good his steadfast love endures forever 26 verses 26 times you say really there's a there's a whole chapter that just repeats that 26 times yes why because god wants us to know that he is good and that his steadfast love endures forever it's steadfast enduring forever so look at that. There, there, this is, again, where we must place our confidence. To believe on Christ as your Savior is not just saying a magic prayer, putting all the right words in the right place, and asking Jesus to come into your heart. That's not believing on Christ. Believing on Christ is believing that he loves you with an unending love. That everything about your relationship with him is based on his great love for you glorious 
when we can finally understand that. So notice what God has done out of his steadfast love for us. Because everything in that golden chain begins with the love of God for us. So let's notice that again. Romans 8, 29 through 30. Let's look at that again. For those whom he foreknew, for, for those whom he foreloved, out of that love he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he glorified. Notice all of the action there is on God's part. We're not doing anything. We're the recipients. He foreknew. He predestined. He called. He justified. And he glorifies. Again, all of it out of his great, steadfast, never-ending love for us. So because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us, that's what I'm believing on when I believe on Christ, that his perfection, his faithfulness, his steadfast love never ends, and it's all poured out in me. That's, that's where my faith has to be. It's all him. So because of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness to us, Romans 8.31 says this. We saw it last week what Paul said. He said, what then shall we say to these things? What are we going to say about this great love of God and what he's done for us? And that's where Paul began five questions. We looked at the four last week, and this week we look at the, the fifth. But those, those first four that we saw, beginning in Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Number two, he says in verse 32, will he not give us all things? Yes, because he's already given us the greatest and grandest of all things in Christ the greatest treasure of the universe. He's already given us. So of course he'll give us all things. Romans 8.33 goes on to say, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Mm. Nobody. Because it's God who justifies. And then verse 34, he said, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Nobody. Because it's Christ who was condemned for us. He died for us. And as Romans 8.1 says, there is... Now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So look at this again. It's just, it's just building up, right? A crescendo. And then finally, today, in verse 35, we see Paul say, And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So there's the key. It's, it's, it's bookended, right? It began with the love of God, and it ends with the love of Christ. It, it, it's, that's where we are secure, in the love of God for his people. Who shall separate us? So that's our question. Once we are in the love of God, when God sets his love upon us and he calls us and he justifies us and he will glorify us, when, that's, when we're in that, can anything separate us from that? That's the question this morning. Romans 8.35, Paul begins this myriad after that question of, of, of examples. He's saying, well, let's see. Let me name a few things that you may think are elements of separation from God's love. Some things that may look like, hey, God stopped loving that person. I think God has stopped loving them because look what's going on in their lives. So let's notice this. He says, shall tribulation or distress 
our persecution. Now, those things are related in the sense that tribulation and distress are kind of the same thing, talking about the circumstances of life, distress of this world, this cursed world we talked about. Many of us suffer reciprocal damage uh, to our lives just being in the cursed world. Storms and tragedies and death of, of others and things that we have to go through. Yes, that's tribulation and distress. It's in this world. We're going we're gonna to see that. Persecution speaks more of, of, of a nationally, if you will, or an organized attack specifically against someone for the, for the faith that they have in Christ. That's persecution. And we see that all around as well. We've seen it throughout the centuries. Pakistan and China and the USSR and Europe and just all through the centuries all the way from Bible days with Nero actually using Christians as torches for his parties putting them on stakes alive setting them on fire to light up his parties to mock Christians this has happened for centuries folks does that mean that God has stopped loving those people it looks like it and Paul's asking that. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall these things? And as he's writing to these people, they know these, these things are happening. Christians being thrown to the lions, put on stakes to be burned, crucified publicly, all, arrested, all these things. He goes on to say, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then he quotes from Psalm 44. He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep. To be slaughtered. I often wonder where these verses hide when the prosperity gospels are preaching, when the prosperity preachers are preaching, their prosperity gospel, I mean. They don't talk about these things much, but this is what we see if we look at all of Scripture. This is the call for the believer. It is a call not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Remember, we are crucified with Christ. He was crucified, we will also be crucified. Sometimes literally. But that's what Paul's saying here. Are these things then going to separate us from the love of God? Does that mean God has stopped loving you when you're going through persecution, turmoil, famine, nakedness, hunger? I mean, these are awful things. And, and, and I think... We need to compare, because it's easy for us to think, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's awful to think that Christians suffer, but we do, and have always, and it's, it's, it's the historic plight of believers. God never promised you a rose garden. There's a song about it. I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. God says that. I mean, in his word, he never told, he said, in the world you will have trouble. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. They hated me, they'll hate you. That, that, that's always been. He says, he says, die to yourself. Take up your cross daily. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross, which is an instrument of death, and follow me. He's telling us, you're going to suffer if you follow me. I think we cannot read Romans 8, 35 through 39 without reading Hebrews 11, 35 through 39. And we'll just read to verse 38 there, but it's, they're very parallel verses. And notice what it says concerning Christians who suffer. This Hebrews 11 is what is known as the hall of faith. It's showing all these Christians through the centuries who had faith in God despite terrible odds. They still believed. Look at verse 35 says, some were tortured. By the way, it's, I, this also puts in perspective for us what it means to be persecuted for Christ. 
Persecution for Christ is, by the way, not getting to Starbucks and they're out of your latte flavor. Or you, you don't get the parking plot spot at the mall that you want. That's not persecution, folks. We're, we're, we're seeing what it means to be tortured here in the Bible. And this is what Christians have suffered for Christ's sake. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Willingly going to death for the cause of Christ. Refusing to be released. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth, living like animals is what it's saying here. And what Paul is saying is, can these things separate us from the love of Christ? Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? And look what he says in verse 37, as he answers this question. No, <laughs> no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Loved us. The apostles have always said it's the love of God that constrains us. It's his love in us that allows us to suffer for him. It's his love for us that calls us to love him through the pain and the adversity and the suffering. That word, hupercaio, conquerors, literally means to completely prevail. Completely, not just to be a conqueror, not just to win, but to completely prevail, to overwhelmingly be victorious. Completely and overwhelmingly be victorious. Now, we look at that and we think that's very strange, Paul. I don't know what, you, what glasses you're wearing, but you're talking about people who are dying and being thrown in prison and being sawn in two, literally, and all these horrific things, and now you're saying they have overwhelmingly won? They're victorious? Minucius Felix, who wrote a work called Octavius, it's an ancient his historian, and here's what he said. I love this little passage. It's a beautiful thing to God when a Christian does battle with pain, when he faces threats, punishments, and tortures by mocking death and treading underfoot the horror of the executioner, when he raises up his freedom in Christ as a standard before kings and princes, when he yields to God alone and triumphant and victorious, he tramples upon the very man who has pronounced sentence upon him. God finds all these things beautiful. Now, do you understand that, what he's saying there? It's a glorious thing, he says, for the believer to die well for Christ. Because by doing so, it's like we're lifting up this standard of our freedom in Christ that says nothing can separate me from the love of God. Even what you're doing now is simply a proof that he loves me. Why? Because even now he is holding me fast. He will hold me fast, we sing, right? 
and we've seen it throughout history. The greatest testimony that somebody is genuinely, genuinely loved by God and has his love coursing through their veins is not when they live in a palace or when they drive the, the greatest vehicles or wear the, the, the wealthiest clothes. And when everything seems to just go great for them, ease of living, that is not it. The greatest sign that God's love is flowing through the veins of a believer is when they can suffer with joy. When they can die singing the praises of God, looking joyfully to heaven as the flames lick their bodies. And there is account after account after account through history of that happening. God is showing us his evidence of his grace in us when he brings suffering into our lives. Because it's only by his love and grace and strength that we would ever persevere. That we would ever keep saying, Lord, I still believe. I still trust you. I still run to you. Why? Are, your friends may look at you like Job's friends did when everything in his world crashed down. All of his kids were killed. His health was gone. All of his money, his stocks and bonds crashed. He lost it all. His friends would look at him and say, what is wrong with you, Job? Even his wife said, Job, just curse God and die. Get it over with. And yet he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What is that? That is an evidence of God's love in you. That's not your love. <laughs> That's not your strength. That's God's strength in our weakness. That's what, that's what we see here. But look what Paul goes, look what he says in 2 Corinthians about this, because this is what he meant, talking about the fact that we're just jars of clay, folks. We don't have that kind of love. And we don't have that kind of dedication to God. And we, we can't muster up enough faithfulness to be faithful to God the way we, we must. 2 Corinthians then, in, in chapter 4, verse 7, says this. Paul says, but we have this treasure, this treasure of God's love, this treasure of his salvation that he gives to us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Do you see that? The power to surpass suffering, the, the power to surpass pain and still believe on him. That comes from him, he's saying. We are afflicted. Look at how glorious this is. This is the theme that we're seeing in Romans as well. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That is the theme of the believer, folks. That's what it means to follow Christ. We will suffer, but we will not be crushed. We, we will not be forsaken. We will not be destroyed. Because even in the midst of all the enemy can throw at us, we are victorious in Christ because we have God's love in us and upon us. And it never fades away. It will never, never fail. You say, wait a minute, I know it's so hard. Sounds like it failed. If you're watching your children be persecuted for Christ and you're watching your wife be sawn in two, as we see in Hebrews, and, and you're seeing them bring the blade to chop your head off as was done in, in Pakistan with all of those Christians lined up along the ocean, it looks like we failed. But folks, every one of those who die immediately open their eyes in the presence of Christ, victors, victors for eternity. That's why 
this love of God is the greatest gift of all. Because nothing can take it away. Nothing can separate us. Even death, Paul's saying. Even persecution, all these things. And then look what he says. He goes on. Now look, Romans 8, 38. For I am sure. So now he's going to talk about his confidence. The, his, his confidence that nothing can separate us from God's love. For I am sure, I am confident that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, or from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is it. This is it. I, 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 I sense Paul's frustration here. I mean, he, he is so convinced. He's trying to name everything he can think of, right? Powers. And these powers, by the way, this is the angelic realm he's talking about, both good and evil. There's no power in all of heaven, in, in, in the universe, nor height, nor depth, N nothing. And then he finally says, good night, I can't think of it, but, but he's, gonna go, 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 he's just gonna say, or anything else in all creation. Should about cover it, right? Nor anything else in all creation. So Paul, by going into the, the principalities and the powers, he, he jumps into the space-time continuum and covers everything from other dimensions that we can never even comprehend. And he says, none of that, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all the universe. Now, here's the funny thing about that. Had people tell me, yeah, I get that, but even though nothing in all the universe can separate me from God, I can still walk away. Oh, really? Wow. That, what an arrogant statement that is. You are just saying, you are more powerful than everything else in the universe that Paul just mentioned, even angels. Even beings created by God that we've not even seen with our imagination yet. Mighty beings that just skip across the astral plane like it's nothing. We, we can't even comprehend that. And yet you have the power to go beyond that. You can pry the fingers of God away from you so that you can walk away. We have that much power. That, that's that's ridiculously arrogant. Here's the point. Here's the, here's the biggest point, though, that what, what Paul is saying here. I'm sorry. If you're mad, I called you arrogant. I'm sorry. But look at it this way. Look at it this way. God loved you, predestined you, called you, justified you, pursued you. He bought you with his blood. You belong to him, and he is not letting you go. Amen. Amen. I mean, this is what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says. Paul reminds us there, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? It's the Holy Spirit's home. God has placed his spirit in you as a guarantee. He says, the, spirit of, the Holy Spirit is within you whom you have from God. That's a gift. You didn't earn that. You don't conjure up the Holy Spirit. God gives you that at salvation when he saves you by his great love. 
And look what he says, and you are not your own, for you were bought. <laughs> you were bought with a price. So glorify God. That's what you're made for. That's what, that's what you've been predestined for, for the good works that God has ordained you to do. So that's what you'll do. I love how we can really see what Paul is saying here. He's basically saying you've been bought by God. He owns you. He's bought you by his blood. And you will not walk away from him. You will glorify him. <laughs> That's literally what he said. You will glorify God with your body because you don't belong to yourself. And he, through all the means that he will deem necessary, will bring you to the place of conforming you to the image of Christ. One way or the other, if you're his, you're not going to run away from him. He is going to conform you into the image of Christ, just like he promised. His love is it's steadfast and it is never-ending. And he will not let his own go. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, this is where David kind of brings this whole thing into a more of a, of a metaphorical picture when he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where, where can I run from you, God, if I do want to run from you? Well, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there... What happens? Your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You see this? David is saying, I can't get out of the grasp of God. No matter what I try to do, no matter where I try to go, no matter how rebellious my stinking fleshly heart gets, if I have been redeemed, chosen, pursued, bought and paid for and sealed by the Holy Spirit, I am in the love of God that never ends. Never ends. John 10, 7, uh, John 10, 27, 29. Again, we have to go there. This is what Jesus was, was telling us when he was here. My sheep hear my voice. <laughs> and I know them. And they follow me. And what do I do? I give them eternal life. And they will never perish Jesus means what he says. He doesn't say here, I'll give them eternal life and they will never perish unless they decide to. Unless they decide if they want to. That's not what he doesn't give the option here, folks. He says, they're my sheep. I know them. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Why? He goes on to make the point. No one will snatch them out of my hand. <laughs> my father who has given them to me you see all this big stuff? It's way over our heads, folks. It's out of our hands <laughs> in some ways here. I know this is the God side of our salvation. This does not at all take away man's responsibility to repent and believe the gospel. But here's the glorious thing for those of us who are in Christ. The Father has given us to the Son. And the Son has purchased us. He says, my father who gave, has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. There's, there's Christ's hands. He, he said, you're not getting out of my hands. And then there's the father's hand. You're, you're not getting out of his hand. This is our security, folks. It's not in me. It's in Christ. My security of ever going to heaven, my security of ever being in the presence of God does not rest in how much I love God, how faithful I am to God, how obedient I am to keep all of his laws. It doesn't depend on that, and it could not because I could not do it. 
So I was on this plane, and we're landing in Orlando. This is many years ago, and I had sat by a fellow, and we really kind of got started talking kind of late. I was reading something, he was reading something, but we finally started talking, and it ends up, and just as we're coming in, that he is a, a, a Pentecostal uh, youth leader. And we started talking and uh, got on this thing of eternal security. And he, his point was, yep, uh, God is great. He saved us. But, you know, again, we've got to be careful. And I'm trying to keep the straight and narrow, man. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I want to I make it to heaven. You know, I, I don't just want to start and blow it. And I said, well, I'm glad that we don't have to worry about that. He said, oh, no. He said, you Baptists. So we, he knew I was a Baptist. You know, you guys in this believing, you know, that, that God saves you and he keeps you. Yeah, I said, it's a, it's a rotten thing to believe the Bible, I know. But... Um, <laughs> I didn't say that, but as we were talking, one of the things he said is he said, I understand that because I said, you don't believe that Christ died completely when he said it is finished. He paid for our sins completely. It is finished. There's how can I add to that? Well, no, I, when Jesus died, uh, yeah, he died for my, my sins before I trusted him. But after I trust him as my savior, I'm accountable from there on out. Yeah. He, he gave me a clean slate, but I trust him as my savior. But now I have to take it from there, and I have to make sure that I walk the straight and narrow from there on out. Wow, I thought. I thought, well, that, that's a hard way to live. I feel bad. But I said, here's the thing that may help. 2,000 years ago when Jesus, because that's what he used that term, he said, I have to take care of all my future sins. Jesus died for my past sins, but after I trust him as my Savior, i got to be sure that I take care of my future sins. And I said, have you ever thought of this? 2,000 years ago when Jesus died for your sins, all your sins were future sins. All of them. And when he died, he said, it is finished. Meaning they're all paid for by his grace. You've got to be always resting in his finished work, not yours. That's what the Bible's teaching us. It, we could never do it. it. And this is where it brings us full circle. If it's your salvation that you're trying to hang on to, you're going to lose it. But if it's God's salvation that he has given you freely by his love through Christ, it is steadfast and eternal in him who is faithful to complete what he's promised. There's our faith. Now, that does not mean that we can live any way we want. And this is, again, the skeptical charge that comes back towards those who would believe in eternal security of the believer. If so, well, that gives you the right to live any way you want to live. No, it doesn't. That simply reveals you're not a believer in the first place. If you want to live any way you want to live, and you want to continue to rebel against God and kick his grace underfoot, that reveals you've never tasted his grace. You've never truly been born again. His love is not flowing through your veins because we do not want to keep sinning. doesn't mean we won't sin, but when we do, we battle it. We turn from it, and we run back to the love of Christ and rest in it. That's the glorious truth. So let me end with this quote from John Stott. Our confidence is not in our love for him, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth that penetrates our folklore our traditions, our reason as humans, what we think is, quote, fair. Father, your word pierces through that and tells us that it is your love that is the beginning and the end of my salvation. It's because you have set your love upon me for your reasons alone. I don't understand it. But before I could do anything to earn it or do anything to please you or not please you, you loved me. 
and predestined me and chose me and called me and justified me in Christ and purchased me as your own and you are conforming me into your, your image. Father, that is all you. So cause us to be grateful and let us be faithful servants because of your great love. And may you be glorified. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.